Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. Grabbing the bull by the horns. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's GJ, and today we are going to take a look at the Minotaurs of Warhammer Fantasy. Some say Minotaurs, others say Minotaurs, I will probably use both pronunciations interchangeably, so if you favor one or the other, um, I do apologize in advance for making you correct me in your head all the time. Why are we going to talk about Minotaurs or Minotaurs? Well, you know, those big bull beasties. The reason is that because lately I've had Minotaurs on my mind. But before I tell you why this is, we first need to discuss a little bit of a hobby. Not everybody needs a hobby. A hobby is supposed to pass the time, not fill it. I did absolutely nothing and it was everything that I thought it could be. We do have some hobby news, ladies and gentlemen, because the paint challenge vote is up. This is about the October paint challenge, the super serious War Games Orchard paint challenge, where the theme of last month was trick or treat. We have three entries, I already mentioned them on previous episodes. We have Nick Jacob, who submitted the cursed company led by Richter Kruger. We have Jörn Huntler who submitted Score the Falconer, at least a miniature, he named him GB Shaw the Falconer, a failed playwright. And we have my own two zombies, Trick and Treat. Please take a look at the Warhammer Orchard Facebook group where you will find this post and you can vote by leaving a like. And if you want to uh, vote for multiple entries, you can. You can leave multiple likes. If you want to vote for one entry in particular, if there's one that's your favorite, then vote with the heart symbol, leave a love icon. And if you do that, that vote will be counted as two votes. But you can only leave one of those uh, in total, one of those per month. Now, if you have missed the October challenge and you maybe you hear about this for the first time, you think, what's this all about? Uh, go to our Facebook group, the Warhammer Orchard. There you will also find a post for the November challenge. And the theme of this month is going to be No Shave November with no in parentheses. So... This is a theme that has something to do with hair. Anything to do with hair. You can get as creative as you want with this challenge as usual. Now, we also have some other hobby news. At least I have some other hobby news because I have not been sitting still. As you know, I am also... Um, as well as doing this podcast uh, together with Nathan who is still... Sadly enough, very busy. Uh, He has graciously allowed me to sort of take over the podcast here. Uh, But apart from this podcast, I've also been doing a paint challenge for the Crown of Command podcast. This is the Call of the Crown, the second iteration. 
I participated in the first one, but due to uh, health issues, uh, due to uh, long COVID, I was unable to finish my pledge of a couple of thousand points of Bretonians and High Elves. I did finish a lot of the High Elves uh, later on for another paint challenge. This was hosted by uh, OJ Nolikam. It was called The Gathering of Mighty Painters, which was a loftier title than I felt. Uh, I did, do not see myself as a mighty painter, but it was fun to participate. And then that one was finished, and there was a void that I thought, well, maybe it would be a good idea to reinstate the Call of the Crown. So I've been busy with that, especially near the end of the month, gathering all the entries. I also promised Josh the uh, of the Call of the Crown of the Crown of Command podcast to do a little segment for him for his podcast where I discuss some of the highlights of last month's uh, I believe the October entry it is already on his Patreon but it will also be in the next podcast for this challenge I participate myself as well I have Beastman I am doing a um Sort of seven and a half thousand points, I believe, of Beastmen that I have planned now, spread out over sixth and seventh edition. This might be a little bit too much, um, especially since I'm also doing uh, one ogre model each month, because there were no ogre kingdoms entries, and I felt bad for the ogre, so I wanted to include them. A single man-eater each month, and then when I have done all six of them, it's going to be Grease's Gold Tooth to finish it all up. Um, for the Beastmen, I have made a roster what I want to paint each month. Last month, I painted a Wargore with a Great Weapon, a Bray Shaman, and a Beast Herd of 20, consisting of 12 Gores and 8 Ungores. This month I'm going to do Morgur, the Master of Skulls, a special character. I'm going to do a Chaos Spawn. I am planning on making that um, Beastman Champion the one that I rolled up randomly in the Realm of Chaos episode I did a few weeks back. So I will keep you posted on how that goes. I also have three Razor Gores. These are third-party 3D printed piggies that uh, look very much the part. And I am going to try to convert myself to Razor Gore chariots out of them. When I have done all that, uh, that's going to be it for the Beastman for this month. And I'm going to do another Man-Eater. And then in the next month is going to be a little bit more infantry again. Now, originally for this month, I had planned to do some Minotaurs. However, when I was prepping them, I figured out I needed a few more. The reason is, I at first had pledged uh, four Minotaurs with great weapons and a champion, I believe, or a, um, a Minotaur hero, Doomball. But when I was prepping these, I found out that, well, I thought maybe I can just 
I, I have all these parts of all these minotaurs mingled together here. Some of them had, had missing parts. That's what you get when you get second-hand minotaurs. I had a lot of the minotaurs with additional hand weapons that were missing the left arm. So uh, what I did then was I grabbed all of the minotaurs I could find, including one third-party model that was basically just a torso of... Uh, well, the, the feet are bull-like, but... The torso looks almost uh, Egyptian-like, Ushapti-like. Um, but it was missing arms and a head, and I had an extra head, and I had an extra right arm uh, of the metal minotaurs. So I used some green stuff, and I started sculpting, and I also used some of the plastic minotaur kits. I have one that was completely new, and I had one that had already been built. Um into a command group and I used those and now I have made myself a uh, let me see here I have now uh, five minotaurs with additional hand weapon including the one with the uh, the Ushapti body I have four minotaurs with great weapons these are all completely original GW metal minotaurs I have a um, uh, command group that uh, is consists of a champion, a standard bearer, and a musician. I have uh, four minotaurs that I want to do with hand weapon and shield. One of them is going to be the old plastic Warhammer Quest minotaur. And I have already ordered some more, including a command group and another command group that I'm going to use as well. I have a plastic minotaur with additional hand weapon that I'm going to paint up as Torox, the special character. I've got one that I'm going to do as a battle standard bearer and I'm going to do uh, three gore bulls or doom bulls, uh, whichever, well they can be either or both. Um, one of them has got a great weapon, one of them has got a hand weapon and shield combination and the other one has got an additional hand weapon. Some of these I have not received yet, so that will be in the mail. Um, I should have then three units of seven or eight minotaurs with a command group, plus a character for each, plus a special character and a battle standard bearer. So I can basically do a whole minotaur army, which... Kind of doesn't work because in 7th edition, as we will see, those minotaurs are all special choices. And in 6th edition, you can get minotaur score if you have a doom bull. However, you will not have a hero level minotaur. So I might have to house rule them in. Let's see how that goes. Uh, it would, of course, be absolutely brutal to be facing off against an old Minotaur army. Now the reason I want to do these Minotaurs so badly is because they have... I've always had a lot of respect for them. I have not faced them very often, but one of the first battles that I played was against a Chaos army, and it had, I believe, six Minotaurs on the flank, and... They just tore through my army. There was nothing I could do against them. 
Um, might also have been the Chaos Knights with the OnePlus armor save that were also in there, I believe. This is a long time ago. This was when I started out, early 6th edition. So over 20 years ago probably that I fought that battle. But ever since, Minotaurs have been, for me, something that if you play Chaos, if you play Beastmen, Minotaurs are a must-have. That has just lodged itself in my mind. What might also have helped is that during that era, in the early 2000s, the uh, first of the Narnia films, uh, I believe Disney made them, the live-action Narnia films, so there were only three of them, they didn't do all seven books. Um, that one came out, and in that film there is a battle with all these mythical creatures, including minotaurs and... Uh, these looked really, really nice, really fierce as well. Uh, I do also remember from that movie you had some centaurs who had, I believe, very big swords and scabbards along their flanks. A really interesting um, way to to deal with this, to equip these creatures. Uh, very well done, I believe. Uh, well, maybe maybe not by today's standards, but back in the day. That made an impression on me, and that is why ever since I plan on doing a Chaos Army, I wanted to include Minotaurs. Now I have a Chaos Army that I am building up for the Escalation campaign a buddy of mine and I are holding. That is not going very quickly, mainly because he is writing his PhD thesis at the moment, he doesn't have a lot of time. And I also am a little bit behind on the units that I want to paint. But for Chaos, I was hoping to get more special choices so I could finally include some Minotaurs. Now I'm going to do them in this uh, Call of Crown challenge. I have planned them for April, so probably by then I will have Minotaurs on my mind as well. Let's see how it all goes. Now, for this episode, we are going to look at the Minotaurs in Warhammer Fantasy. However, I wanted to start off in a different place in Greek mythology. Because Minotaurs are, of course, not a typical Warhammer Fantasy creature, or at least they are, but they are not an, a unique Warhammer Fantasy creature. They have been borrowed, like so many others, from Greek mythology. Now, in Greek mythology, you have a story about King Minos. Minos was the king of Crete, the island in the Mediterranean. And Minos had asked Poseidon, the god of the sea, for a white bull to sacrifice. But the bull was so nice and so beautiful that Minos kept it for himself. And he sacrificed a lesser animal. Basically because a sacrifice is a sacrifice, right? Well, not according to the gods, the Greek gods, because as a punishment, Poseidon made Minos' wife, uh, Pasiphae, if, which I hopefully pronounce correctly, uh, his wife fall in love with the white bull. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you get baby Minotaurs, as I am sure any biology teacher will be able to tell you. Uh, the Minotaur was born with the upper torso of a bull, uh, the head of a bull and the, the body of a man, uh, so uh, human feet and arms. The Minotaur grew big and strong and it grew most of all ferocious. So in order to contain him, 
the inventor Daedalus was asked to build a labyrinth. Now at some point King Minos' son gets killed by Athens and in return every once in a while uh, Athens, the, this is Athens the capital of Greece, has to send seven young men and seven young maidens to Crete to be sacrificed to the Minotaur. The third time this has happened there is a Greek prince called Theseus. Theseus is the son of King Aegeus. He offered to go in and slay the beast. If he was successful, he promised his father the ship that they were sailing would bear white sails on the return journey instead of the black ones that it always did to signify the mood of mourning, the people losing their youth. Um, yeah, this was a sad occasion, so the ship had black sails. Now King Minos in Crete, he has a daughter called Ariadne. Ariadne fell in love with Theseus and she gave him a ball of yarn. This Theseus unrolled so that he could find his way back out of the labyrinth. Inside the labyrinth Theseus managed to kill the Minotaur and here the legends they... Uh, well, there, are, there are multiple accounts, multiple legends and there are differences in the details. Uh, some say he killed the, the beast with his bare hands, others say he used a club or a sword that he found there. Either way, uh, Theseus, the hero, killed the Minotaur. He stole Ariadne away and he went back to Athens. However, as you can expect in Greek legends and mythology, they forgot to change the sails. So when King Aegeus saw the black sails on the horizon, he jumped into the sea and killed himself. And that is why that part of the sea is called the Aegean Sea. Now in Greek mythology there only ever was one single minotaur. And even though there are different versions of the stories, they all refer to the same, um, well, the same mythology. I was going to say the same event, but, uh, well... Fortunately, or maybe sadly, uh, this probably never happened in real life, although there might have been a historical basis for this. Because interestingly enough, in the early 19th century, archaeologists excavating at Crete found the remains of what, was what they called the Minoan civilization. They discovered the remains of a palace uh, at Knossos, which is a place on Crete. Uh, might even just be the archaeological place that is called like that. I'm not sure about that. But this palace is uh, it has been unearthed, it's been partially restored. It dates back to the Minoan period, uh, named after King Minos. Um, much is still unknown about this Minoan civilization, but the palace does interestingly enough have several depictions of bulls. And it also has a rather labyrinthine layout. It might have been that this gave rise to the legend of the Minotaur. And if you are, um, if you have a little bit more imagination than the average historian, you might suggest that the ancient Greeks did some a very ethically questionable. Um, genetic experiments that may or may not have resulted in all these half-breeds. I probably wouldn't bet on the latter one, 
although it is nice to think about, of course. Now, Minotaurs have been in our collective memory for a couple of thousands of years, and it is no wonder, really, that they uh, made it into the fantasy genre, along with some other mythological creatures like satyrs and centaurs. You most notably find Minotaurs in Dungeons & Dragons and related role-playing games, to my knowledge, the earliest appearance of Minotaurs in a fantasy book was in the aforementioned Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. Uh, the Minotaurs there on the, in those books, they fought alongside the evil witch Jadis. Maybe that is also why Minotaurs are generally perceived of as evil. Uh, but that's also, of course, the case in the ancient Greek legends. And that brings us back to what I said earlier about the film adaptation of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the first of the Narnia novels, as well as that game of 6th edition that have uh, lodged itself into my memory as Get Some Minotaurs, which I am doing at the moment and looking forward to to paint. Now let's look at Minotaurs in Warhammer Fantasy. The first iteration of the Minotaur we find in 1st edition. Minotaurs like Belrocks. Wait a minute, we have Belrocks? Yes, we have Belrocks. Uh, Belrocks are demonic spirits, evil monsters that were around in 3rd edition. Uh, they have a, a whip and I can probably do an episode on Belrogs and demons at some point in the future. I have noticed by the way that I've been doing a lot of evil stuff I did to the direwolves before that I had the tomb king's chariots Now we have the minotaurs. Maybe it's time to get to some of the good guys at some point uh, However, then also a quote by the famous French oceanographer and explorer Jacques Cousteau it comes to mind he before he he became a diver and, and an ocean explorer, he was a filmmaker and he always loved playing in his own movies. And this is the early interbellum uh, era, so uh, between the First and the Second World War in the early 20th century. And he said that it was always much more fun to play the villain in his own movies than the good guy. And... I think that is something that's true for maybe not all of us, but for many of us, that the evil side is much more interesting than the good side. Now, this is not to say that everybody who plays evil armies is evil at heart. I personally do not know of any Warhammer players that I would categorize as evil. Uh, most of us are really great guys, really uh, good guys as well. But, well, for some reason the side of evil draws us. Let's just um, not go over to the dark side or to maybe to the side of philosophy too far here. Let's do Minotaurs and next time uh, we will probably see if we can find some interesting good or at least neutral factions to talk about. Well, Minotaurs, like Belrocks, were once spirits who, fallen and twisted by evil and hatred, have assumed gross physical shapes. 
Minotaurs, however, are much less powerful than Balrogs. They live away from light amongst the darker parts of caves, often as solitary creatures or amongst orcs and goblins who both fear and respect them. Minotaurs have a movement of 6 in 1st edition, a weapon skill of 4, a ballistic skill of 2, strength 3, they have a toughness value of D, the letter D that is, which would roughly translate to toughness 4. The table in 1st edition was a little bit different than the table in later editions, so there's no direct comparison. But if you roll with strength 4 against toughness D, you need a 4+, plus. so that's more or less what you get with strength 4 against toughness 4. Minotaurs have 4 wounds each, they have an initiative of 3, and they have 2 attacks. They are over 10 foot in height and cause fear in units of man or man size or smaller creatures. Uh, there's, by the way, a funny little typo over here in the first edition book. It says, it should probably say over 10 foot in height, but it has the uh, double um, accent, double prime mark. So minotaurs are over 10 inches in height. And, well, I, I have been going off on quite a lot of tangents already, but this does remind me of a little article that I wrote at some point about the... Uh, world's smallest skyscraper, which is a four-story building that was uh, purchased for mm, a lot of money. I don't remember how much. This was in the early 1900s, I believe. And uh, the contractor had put the uh, double accent, the, the uh, double apostrophe mark for inches at the height of the skyscraper. And nobody noticed that. So everybody thought they were purchasing a 480 foot skyscraper. But instead they got a 480 inch tower. Which is uh, a bit of a letdown. Especially after you've already paid a lot of money for that. Well, Minotaurs are over 10 inches or 10 feet probably in height. They cause fear in units of man or man-sized creatures or smaller creatures. The only exception are elves. Minotaurs can use their horns to attack by charging with the same effect bonus as a mounted lancer. Then what, pray tell, is the effect bonus of a mounted lancer in 4th edition? This means that... On the charge, they get plus one initiative and plus one kill. And plus one kill would later be known as plus one to wound. They don't get an extra strength, but they just get plus one on that roll to wound table. According to the first edition supplement Forces of Fantasy, Minotaurs cost you 37 points. I have no idea if that's good or bad, but a regular box standard human is 5 points. They have a slightly different stat line. Everything was a little bit less strength in this era. Humans have a strength of 2. And for the rest, they are mostly the same. Now in 2nd edition, Minotaurs do not appear as a separate entry. At least not that I could have uh, could discover. In the second edition book, when you refer in the back of the book to Minotaurs, it says it, it points you to the page called uh, with the entry of the Beastmen. Um, they are grouped in with Beastmen. They have a regular Beastmen profile. 
I believe in both of these and third edition they came on 25mm square bases. At least that's what Beastman did and that's what's mentioned in third edition as well. So in second edition we don't really see a, uh, a new Minotaur pop up. In third edition however we do. We have in 3rd edition not just the regular Minotaur, but we also for the first time see Minotaur champions and heroes. Minotaurs in 3rd edition are no longer evil spirits, but they are creatures of chaos. They came into being as a result of the widespread mutations that follow the collapse of the Slan Spatial Gateways, what would later be known as the Chaos Gates. Minotaurs are a form of giant beastmen sharing many unpleasant traits with other smaller types of beastmen. Like Skaven they have achieved a degree of genetic stability so that mutations tend to follow a common pattern. Being chaotic, unpredictable or oddball mutations do crop up now and again but most minotaurs conform to a recognizable type. The main feature distinguishing minotaurs is their general resemblance to a bull. Minotaurs are usually bull-headed or have other features which are heavily bestial. They are extremely large and strong, standing at least 10 feet tall with chests almost as broad. Because of the size difference compared with other forms of beastmen, minotaurs cannot interbreed easily. This has uh, preserved and stabilized their bloodline to some extent. Minotaurs have minds and psychological traits as e easily as warped as their degenerate and corrupted bodies. They are brutal and perverse creatures with an insatiable appetite for raw flesh. Their favorite food is man, but they will eat anything living and will even turn upon each other if extremely hungry. Minotaurs delight in tearing their victims apart bit by bit and swallowing their pulsing flesh before the eyes of their comrades. Fresh blood has an intoxicating effect upon minotaurs, similar to that of alcohol on humans. Minotaurs' feeding sessions can quickly degenerate into an orgy of savagery and torture. Minotaurs live in secluded areas, often along other mutants, beastmen and chaotic bands. They often group together with other beastmen to raid human farms and take captives. At other times they will lend their support to a chaos band in return for a fair share of the captives. They are, a potent, they are potent fighters but not very bright. They find it difficult to make weapons and everyday utensils. Most minotaurs choose to live amongst other beastmen, gaining armor, weapons and other manufactured goods in return for their fighting prowess. Minotaurs stand at least 10 feet tall and can be almost as broad, it says in their description of the physique. Their hides are dark and the fur around their head is usually jet black. Exposed areas of flesh may be pinkish. Their horns are white or yellowish and, even their, and their eyes are red and threatening. Some minotaurs may be white, grey or even albino, but this is less common than black. Minotaurs are chaos aligned, they have a base size of 25 by 25 millimeters. They have five special rules. The minotaur is a large creature causing fear in creatures under 10 feet tall. They got that from 
first edition and they will retain this fear causing ability throughout their iterations. Minotaurs are powerful creatures, any blow has a greater than average chance of penetrating armor. An opponent suffering damage in hand-to-hand -hand combat has his armor saving throw reduced by minus one. So Minotaurs in this edition are armor piercing. A Minotaur's lush for flesh is so irrepressible that even in the thick of battle it may stop to feed upon the dead and wounded. This is represented by a special psychology test called Blood Greed. When a unit of Minotaurs routes his opponent, it must take a standard 2d6 test against its cool. If the test is failed, the unit will halt to feed the dead on the dead or dying. It will not pursue routing troops or strike any free backs. The unit continues to remain halted until the beginning of his next turn, when another Blood Greed test must be made. The unit continues to feed until a successful test is made or until the unit is charged in hand-to-hand -hand combat. However, if charged while feeding, Minotaurs automatically go into a frenzy as they really don't like being disturbed. While frenzied, Blood Greed does no longer apply. A frenzied unit may not use missile weapons. If shot at by enemy troops, the unit may make an additional and immediate test to stop feeding. That was all the third rule. And you will see that this uh, Bloodlust or Blood Greed will return also in later editions. Minotaurs are too slow-witted to become wizards and they may lead regiments of Chaos Beastmen. They may also serve as champions in regiments of Beastmen or Warriors of Chaos. Now let's take a look at the profiles. A Minotaur in 3rd edition has a movement of 6, web skill 4, ballistic skill 3, strength and toughness of 4, 3 wounds initiative 3, 2 attacks, leadership 9, intelligence 5, cool 7, willpower 6 and cost 40 points. You can upgrade your minotaurs to heroes. A level 5 hero has a point of a weapon skill, a point of ballistic skill, a point of strength and a point of initiative higher than your average Minotaur, he costs 90 points. And this goes all the way up to a level 25 hero, I'm not going to name all of these iterations, but the level 25 hero costs 290 points. He has movement 6, web skill 7, ballistic skill, strength, toughness 5, 6 wounds, initiative 6 and 5 attacks. His leadership is 10 plus 3, intelligence 7 plus 2, Cool 9 plus 2 and Willpower 8 plus 2. And I had to ask this because I did not know what these plus stats meant. But this is the bonus that they give to any regiment they accompany. Now the level 25 hero, level 20 hero, it would be comparable to what would later be known as a Doom Bull, a Minotaur Lord. Uh, the level 5 hero is well, a little bit better than a champion who usually just get plus 1 attack in later editions. And the level 10 or 15 hero would be the hero level minotaur. But there's no one on one comparison. In 4th edition, minotaurs stick around. They are now part of the armies of chaos.
we find them in the fourth edition. Chaos book, I will not read out all of their fluff because, well, their description stays mostly the same throughout. It's just their behavior that's a little bit different each edition. Minotaurs live in warbands of their own kind and make their territories in the very deepest and most dangerous parts of the forest that even beastmen avoid. Normally ponderous and slow with it, battle turns them into raging bulls and the scent of blood drives them into violent excesses. In the midst of combat they tear their enemies apart and swallow down great chunks of bloody flesh quenching their thirst upon the blood of the dying whilst battle rages around them. The hearthstones of the deep forest are encased within crude stone-built shrines erected by the minotaurs to the glory of the chaos gods. Within the shrines they hoard the weapons, armor and skulls of their defeated foes. It is supposed that these treasure houses are guarded by the watchful eye of the Chaos Gods. Certainly only the most foolish creature would dare to desecrate such places. Minotaur warriors bring their trophies to the shrines and often these tiny buildings are almost buried under a mass of rusting weaponry and moldering bones. It is said that the Chaos Gods commune with favored Minotaur warriors within the shrines answering their prayers and granting such gifts as they see fit. Minotaurs in 4th edition have the special rule, Blood Greed. When Minotaurs taste blood they will get wildly excited and lose control of themselves as they tear their enemy apart and feed. If Minotaurs break their hand-to-hand -hand combat opponents, they never pursue but stop and begin to feed upon the remains instead. The Minotaurs will continue to feed until they make a successful leadership test at the start of one of their following turns. So now you do not get to test to see if they maybe can pursue or get some extra attacks. They just stop and feed regardless and you only have to test at the start of your turn to see if they will keep feeding. As Minotaurs have a high leadership, it is very rare for them to spend long in a blood creed, but while they are feeding they can do nothing else, and the leadership of a regular Minotaur in this edition is 9. However, should the enemy be foolish enough to charge Minotaurs while they are feeding, the Minotaurs stop feeding and become frenzied. The rules for frenzy, as described in the Warhammer rulebook, will then apply. So long as they remain frenzied, the Minotaurs are not affected by blood greed. They are huge brutish monsters that cause fear in other creatures and minotaur characters may carry magic items in a normal way. Champions can take one, a hero can take two and a lord can take three. Note that minotaur champions may not take chaos rewards, only chaos champions and sorcerers may have them. Now there is something fun that you can do with blood greed and that is if your opponent has frenzied troops as well. You just send your minotaurs out there destroy a chaff unit, have them feeding and then see if your opponent charges them with his own frenzied units. Um, this will be going a bit hard to hard but it might be a nice way to to lure out your opponent. Uh, I, I'm just making this up at this moment. I have not had any experience with that but I can see that that might be a way to use minotaurs although it will depend on a lot of factors of course. Minotaurs in 4th edition 
cost 40 points per model. They have a movement of 6, weapon skill 4, ballistic skill 3, strength 4, toughness 4, 3 wounds initiative 3, 2 attacks and a leadership of 9. They are a little bit better in the leadership department and they are still very hard hitting. They can carry double handed weapons for plus 2 points per model or a second hand weapon for plus 1 point per model. Any unit may carry a magic standard, any unit can have light armor and um, the magic standard that well can be chosen from the appropriate magic item cards that's what the uh, standard text is. They can have a standard one or one of the gods of chaos if you wish. Minotaurs also have characters in this edition. A Minotaur champion costs 110 points. He's got one higher point of weapon skill, one higher point of strength and ballistic skill as well. And of course an extra attack. Uh, let's see here what else. Oh and an extra initiative. He's still leadership 9 though. Minotaur champion costs 110 points and they are of course always equipped in the same way as the unit. Minotaur Heroes cost 240 points, they have movement 6, web skill 6, ballistic skill 5, strength and toughness 5, 4 wounds, this is the 5, 4 attacks and a leadership of 10. And Minotaur Lords cost 380 points, they are a 0 to 1 choice. And you can only include uh, Lords and Heroes if you have at least one regiment of Minotaurs. Minotaur Lords have a movement of 6, web skill 7, ballistic skill 6. Strength and Toughness 5, 5 Wounds, Initiative 6, 5 Attacks and Leadership 10. These are the stats that you would get, well, at least in later editions, maybe not in this edition so much, for a Greater Demon. I'm not quite sure here for this edition, I've never played with or against Greater Demons. Uh, let's see here, oh no, Bloodthirsters for example in this edition. They have most of their stats on 10, but well, um, let's say that they are on par with a with at least a giant, something like that. In 4th edition, you could just, if you have one regiment of Minotaurs, you can then include a Minotaur Hero or a Minotaur Lord. In 5th edition, things change a little bit. Now the first thing that changes, even if it is a little bit, is their rule for blood greed. When Minotaur stays blood they get wildly excited and lose discipline as they tear their enemies apart and feed. If Minotaurs break their hand to head combat opponent or wipe them out completely they will become affected by the psychology rules for Frenzy on A4+. If Frenzies they must of course pursue. Make one roll for the entire unit. This represents the Minotaurs becoming wildly excited by the smell of blood and tearing their opponents apart. This is um, probably a little bit better. You don't have a chance that they stick around and eat. But on the other hand, you also um, lose that more or less role-playing element where Minotaurs can stay and feed um, yeah, even if um, that is not really beneficial, uh, this getting Frenzy, well, Frenzy also has its downside, of course, but getting Frenzy is, I think, has more benefits than uh, disadvantages in 
5th edition, or maybe in any edition even. Minotaurs in 5th edition cost 42 points per model. Their stats remain unchanged from what they were in 4th edition, and the same is true for the Champion, Hero and Lord, although their points have gone up a little bit. Regular Minotaurs are just, uh, have gone up 2 points apiece. The Champion has gone up 5 points to 115, the Hero has gone up 10 points, and the Lord has gone up 15 points. Now Minotaurs have some rules in this edition and some restrictions. If a retinue includes at least one unit of Gore, Ungor, or Bestigore, it may also include one unit of Minotaurs. Now please remember that in this edition you bought retinues for your champions. The first thing you do is you select a Chaos Champion and then this Chaos Champion can have a retinue. The retinue belongs to this champion. You can have multiple champions and multiple retinues. And within this retinue you can have a mix of units of different kinds. If you have one of these beast units you can also have one unit of Minotaurs. Minotaur units can be small, uh, smaller than the normal minimum of five models. For example, two, uh, two Minotaurs and a champion form a unit of three. Now it doesn't say here, but it does imply that three is the minimum, I guess. Um, Minotaurs are armed with swords, axes, clubs, or other hand weapons. Champions, heroes, and lords must be equipped the same as their units. They have no armor save, just like they had no armor save in 4th edition, unless you buy them armor. They can carry double-handed weapons for plus 2 points per model, an extra hand weapon for 1 point, and light armor for 2 points per model, exactly the same as it was in 4th edition. Any unit of Minotaurs may have a standard bearer and or musician, costing double the points value of an ordinary trooper. I am assuming that this is also the same as it was in 4th edition. I didn't specifically check, but since Minotaurs could have a magic standard, I guess they also could get those command upgrades. They can also still have a magic standard, um, either a regular one or one of the Chaos Gods. They have these special rules, cause fear and blood greed. And if your unit, and this is where the largest change comes, if your unit has at least three Minotaurs, they may be led by a champion. For example, two Minotaurs and a Minotaur champion. If your unit consists of at least seven Minotaurs, it may be led by a champion or a hero. And if you have at least ten Minotaurs, it may be led by a champion, hero or lord. So you would need a unit of 10 Minotaurs, which is 420 points. You need to give them a little bit of equipment as well. So let's say that that will be another um, 10, 15, 20 points. Uh, no, that's, that's not correct. That's, that's, that's between 20 and 40 points, I guess. Um, and then you have to buy the upgrade for a Lord for 395 points. Plus you probably want a standard bearer and musician in there as well. So this will be a unit of upwards of 800 points, not including magic items. So you would probably only see Minotaur Lords in very large battles or in battles where you would have uh, an opponent or a chaos player at least put all their eggs in one bull-shaped basket.
Fifth edition was and is probably because it's still being played. It's still very enjoyable. Uh, but it is a, a bit of a weird place like that. And you see, especially with Chaos, I think, that GW is going back and forth between the rules, between what works, between unit composition, all that kind of stuff. We have two more additions to discuss for the Minotaurs, and the first one is 6th edition. In 6th edition, Minotaurs are, well, more or less the same as they were in um, 5th and 4th edition, at least uh, as to their lore. Um, they are still the Keepers of the Dark Shrines, they, are still, they have the same physique, they are still rather dim-witted. They also still have the rules Fear and Blood Greed. Blood Greed in this edition loses its synergy with Frenzy, but it has a very nice thematical approach to it this time. And Minotaurs are known for craving for flesh, for their craving for flesh, and even in the heat of battle they will stop to defore the fallen rather than continue to fight. A unit of Minotaurs can never make an overrun move, even if normally forced to do so by psychology or some other effect. However, Minotaurs pursue 3d6 inches rather than 2d6. So if they break an enemy and they kill it completely, they will stop and feed. But if they break an enemy and the enemy flees, they will get after them because their meals are running away. You also have Doom Bulls in this edition the Lord level Minotaurs. And Doom Balls do get their own bit of fluff. However, this fluff will be a little bit more extensive in 7th edition, so I will pick some elements of it out in that edition. Minotaurs in 6th edition are a special unit. This means that both Beastmen and Demons and Warriors of Chaos and no matter what your general is, you can have Minotaurs as a special unit, uh, with a small exception because if your general is a Doom Bull, Minotaurs count as core units. Minotaurs cost 40 points per model. They have a movement of 6, web skill 4, ballistic skill 3, strength and toughness 4, 3 wounds initiative 4, 3 attacks and a leadership of 8. They have not changed that much from their previous iterations. They can upgrade a 1 Minotaur to a champion called a Bloodkine and it has an extra attack. The unit size is 3+, plus. they can have an additional hand weapon for 4 points or a great weapon for 6 points. They can have light armor for 3 points. They can have a standard bear for 20 points and a Bloodkine for 20 points, however in this edition no musician. Any unit may be given the same Mark of Chaos as the Army General for the following point cost. Mark of Chaos Undivided is free, Mark of Corn 45 points, Nurgle 25, Siege 20 and Slanesh 20 points. Now what do these marks do in 6th edition? The Mark of Chaos Undivided is simply reroll failed psychology tests. Minotaurs of Siege can generate you an extra power dice. Um, unless they are fleeing, of course, generals, uh, uh, Minotaurs of Corn are frenzied. Minotaurs of Nurgle have a 5 plus scaly skin save. 
and Minotaurs of Slanesh are immune to psychology. Now you don't have a hero level Minotaur in this edition, but you do have the Lord level, the Doom Bull. It has gone down in points quite a lot since its 5th edition iteration. It is no longer 300 plus points, but the stats have also go gone down and these stats are more comparable to what a hero was in 5th edition. A Doomball has a movement of 6, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 3, strength and toughness 5, 4 wounds and 5, 5 attacks and a leadership of 9. It costs 180 points. It has a hand weapon, it can have a great weapon for 8 points or an additional hand weapon for 6 points. It can have a shield for 3 points, light armor for 3 points or heavy armor for 6 points. You can have up to 100 points of magic items and you can have the different marks. The mark of corn for 40, Nurgle for 50, Siege for 80 and Slanesh for 25. What do these do for a Doombull? A Doombull of Siege is a level 2 sorcerer and cast, can cast spells while wearing armor. A Doombull of corn is frenzied. And in addition, um, it adds one Dispel Dice. I forgot it for the Minotaurs of Corn. It does that as well. A, um, a Doombull of Nurgle has plus one wound, taking it up to five, which also increases its unit strength to five. So a single Doombull of Nurgle can take away a rank bonus in 6th edition, which is something to keep in mind. And a Doombull of Selenesh is, of course, immune to psychology. That brings us to the final iteration of the Minotaurs in Warhammer Fantasy before the old world uh, most definitely did not blow up, the 7th edition Beastman book. Minotaurs are still the uh, bull-headed beasts that they are. They are still terribly hungry for flesh and in particular the flesh of man. But um, there is there are some new lore bits here that I would like to read out. It is not the gnawing hunger a mortal feels when deprived of sustenance, this minotaur hunger, but a deep thirst for the unholy exhilaration the minotaurs experience when they consume the flesh of their enemies. In this state they join with the power of the chaos gods and they share in a part of their glory. Gathering in loose tribes, ruled over by the strongest of the number, the Minotaurs live a nomadic existence and they go wherever the scent of blood is strongest. Attracted by raw flesh and steaming gore, they often gravitate to the herdstones where the beastmen make their unholy offerings to the dark gods. During the most hideous of rituals, scores of sacrifices are made in savage offerings led by the Bray Shamans sending the Minotaurs into a frenzy which only the blood of yet more victims can sate. Even a glimpse of the color of red is sometimes enough to rouse the greed of a Minotaur tribe, for it reminds them of the glories of blood-mad gluttony. Very nice how they included this whole uh, red cloth on a bull. I don't know if this is a pro proverb, but it is in the Netherlands. Something like... Uh, um, what, what's the uh, Spanish uh, matadors with the bullfighting do? They have this red cloth that drives the bulls uh, pretty much mad for them. 
even though I've been told that bulls are colorblind and it's more the flapping and waving of this little fellow in the puffy pants that uh, sends them into a frenzy and not so much the color itself. When called to war, the Minotaurs reach into the piles of weapons and armor heaped in offering before the herdstones, equipping themselves with the largest and most formidable weapons they can find. These weapons were laid before the hearthstones in celebration of victory, their erstwhile owners slain upon some forgotten battlefield. In amongst the rusted blades can sometimes be found those once carried by warriors of long-lost empires, crafted using methods and metals no longer known to any of the peoples of the world, fragments of tarnished armor that might have been made for the gods of long-dead forgotten kings. In truth, the Minotaur is capable of tearing a warhorse apart with its bare teeth and cares not for a heritage of such items, but these tools of wars can make them even deadlier still. To the Minotaurs, a battlefield is a place of maddening excess. The scent of gore in their flaring nostrils drives them wild and they bellow their hunger for all to hear. They charge with a thundering impact, horns lowered to impale, then strike blow after blow against their hapless enemy. Once their victims have been hacked apart, the Minotaurs slake their thirst by tearing at raw flesh with their gore-encrusted nails and gulping down great hunks of steaming meat even whilst the battle rages on around them. It takes them two sections here to describe the blood greed. Which, of course, is the special rule that has stayed with them. And right now it gets uh, another different set of rules. Minotaurs and Aken become more and more frenzied the more victims they slaughter and devour. If a model with blood greed is on the winning side in a round of close combat, it immediately becomes frenzy. If already frenzied, then each time it is on the winning side of a round of close combat, the model gains an additional attack. These bonus attacks are lost if the model loses frenzy. However, due to their desperate need to feed upon the flesh of the foe, models with blood greed pursue and overrun only d6 inches. Minotaurs still cause fear, but in this edition they gained the special rule, impact hits. A Minotaur that charges inflicts one impact hit as long as it can contact an enemy model. And Minotaurs have gone up in stats a little bit because now they have a strength of 5. So that really gives you some impact there with the impact hits. Apart from Minotaurs we also see the return of the Doom Bull as it was in 6th edition, a lord level minotaur. And we see the return of the uh, Gorbul, which is the name for the hero level minotaur. Doombulls and Gorbuls in this edition get their own entry. And they are, uh, well at least Doombulls get their own entry. Uh, Gorbuls are do... Do not, I guess. Now they are grouped in with the uh, with the Doom Bulls. Uh, Doom Bulls, they have the uh, subtitle, the Bloodcallers or Fathers of Rage. Doom Bulls are the strongest and most ferocious of their kind, towering bull-headed and cloven-hoofed beasts, uh, almost as broad as they are tall, little more intelligent than their minotaur kin. 
they are instead set above the others of their kind by the sheer animal intensity of their hunger for flesh and their inherent ability to invoke the intense bloodlust in others. When more sleep is full in the sky, the doom bulls roar out a bellowing call that resounds around the forest for many miles, attracting yet more minotaurs and invoking the blood greed that runs through all of their kind. Soon the forest will echo to the thunder of gargantuan hoofs as minotaurs gather by the hundreds at a hearthstone, pawing at the ground in their haste to trample and crush. It is not only minotaurs who heed the call of blood greed, for sometimes the beastmen themselves will be swept up in the rush of primal instinct to fight and to feed. As bands of minotaurs crash through the trees towards the settlements and fortifications of the civilized races, so groups of gores and other beastmen follow in their wake, consumed by the desire to wolf down the hot flesh of their enemies. Though no master of strategy or battle doctrine, a doombull is capable of leadership of a sort. It is he that bellows the raw will of the dark ones, triggering a terrifying stampede that can only end when the horse's unnatural thirst is quenched with the blood of man. As the Doombull's army smashes its way through the dark woods, the undergrowth is flattened and the trees toppled all around. This is a truly horrifying sight for the occupants of any settlement in its path, for it spells, it spells certain and violent death. Yet even forewarned by the cacophony of the Stampede's approach, the defenders of such fortifications are truly doomed, for the Doombull and his Minotaurs will be upon them in short order and their escape route is almost always barred by the gross ma mass of the war herd. Consumed by blood greed, the Minotaurs lay waste to their prey in an orgy of slaughter smashing through barricades and buildings alike, to get at these still living weaklings that cower within. The Dumbo and the head at the head of the horned army lowers his head and charges at full speed towards the leader of the enemy army, gauging his horns deep into the foe and maiming everything within reach of his axe. When all is laid waste, the Dumbo gorges himself on the choicest prey while his followers fight over the corpse harvest at their feet. As the last scraps are gobbled down and the steaming blood seeps into the earth, the raging wrath of the horde begins to subside. The beasts slink back to the deep forest, the minotaurs returning to their lairs to slumber and digest until the bloodletting begins again. The Empire of Man is fortunate that such incursions only last as long as the blood crease is upon the minotaurs for otherwise the stampede might never end. Doombulls, of course, have the special rule blood greed and fear. They also cause frenzy, so Doombulls already get that extra attack. They cause impact hits, the three impact hits, not a single impact hit, as long as they um, contact an enemy model. And they have the special rule slaughterer's call. The Minotaur Lord's bloodlust is infectious, driving any other thought from the mind. Any unit accompanied by a frenzied Doombull or Gorbull is also subject to frenzy, but not to the Primal Fury rule. Primal Fury is a rule that Beastmen have in this edition. It is one of those rules that um, the whole army get, 
and Primal Fury says that at the beginning of each round of close combat, each unit that is engaged must take a leadership test. If the test is passed, the unit is subject to hatred of all units they are fighting until the end of the close combat phase. And if they pass their Primal Fury test on the roll of a double one, they get both hatred and frenzy until the end of the close combat phase. That rule is however no longer applicable if you have a Doom Bull in which you are Minotaurs or a Gore Bull. Now, Minotaurs are a special choice in 7th edition, they cost 55 points per model. They have a unit size of 3 plus and they have a stat line that is quite similar to what it has always been, except that their strength has gone up 1 point. The Bloodkine, the champion, has a, an additional attack as well. They are equipped with hand weapon and light armor. You no longer have to buy them light armor. You can upgrade one Minotaur to a Bloodkine for 20 points, which may have a magic item worth up to 25 points. That's nice if you want to give him a nice Beastman Axe. You can give him... Uh, a musician for 10 points and you can give them a standard bear for 20 points however they can apparently no longer have a magic standard you can choose to give them either shields for 4 points additional hand weapons for 4 points or great weapons for 8 points per model gore bulls cost 160 points they have movement 6 web skill 5 blister skill 3 Strength and Toughness 5, 4 Wounds, Initiative 4, 4 Attacks and a Leadership of 7. They can have up to 50 points of Magic Items and or Gifts of Chaos. They can have a Great Weapon or an Additional Hand Weapon for 10 or 5 points respectively. They can have Light or Heavy Armor for 4 or 8 points respectively and they can also have a Shield for 4 points. The Doom Bull has uh, of course an even better stat line it has uh, one movement six which is standard for all minotaurs web skill six blister skill three not that he needs it strength six toughness five five wounds initiative five five attacks and a leadership of eight he can have up to 100 points of magic items and gifts he can have a great weapon for 15 points and an additional hand weapon for eight points Light armor and heavy armor cost 6 and 12 points respectively and a shield is also 6 points. The Dumbo costs 235 points and the Gore Bull, I don't know if I mentioned it, costs 160 points. Now there is one last Minotaur that we need to discuss and that is the special character. There is a special character, a Minotaur special character called Torox the Brass Bull. Slaughterhorn Bloodbeast the Brazen One. Torox the Brass Bull is an unstoppable force, a roaring, snorting engine of destruction virtually impervious to physical harm. Cast in the form of a grotesquely muscled Doom Bull, Torox looms over his followers, a mountain of living brass with curving bladed horns and a gnashing metal maw that constantly drools with gore. The Brass Bull was not always a metallic monstrosity. Once a fearsome chieftain of the Minotaur tribe, Storax enforced his brutal will upon the lesser beasts of the forest by felling any creature who dared to meet his stern gaze 
and then devouring them alive. The brass bull was merciless beyond measure. The ground at his feet was ever wet with the freshly spilled blood of friend and foe alike. So it was that one night an emissary of the fell powers crawled into the mortal realm from the devastated remains of one of Thorax's rivals. The hell-born nightmare was sinewy and crimson-skinned, coiled with unholy energy, and it met Thorax's gaze with its hollow blank eyes. A hollow black eyes. This proved to be a costly mistake. Before it could utter a single syllable in its dark tongue, Thorax grabbed it by its wattled throat and bit off its head. There was a moment's silence, then a violent thrashing as Thorax spasmed and shook, seized by a vision of a world awash with blood and afloat with corpses. Thorax roared and screamed, biting and clawing at himself in his convulsions before taking up his axes and slaying every one of his tribe, one by one. But he didn't stop there. For a year and a day, Thorax raged across the lands in a blind rampage, killing every living thing that he could find. Tribes of beastmen, governs of witches, nomadic Strigani, caravans, mercenary ogres, empire patrols, proud knights, two-headed giants, all fell to Thorax's boundless wrath. When he came upon the Vale of Liedberg, he killed so many citizens that a river of blood was born at his feet. Exhausted, Thorax collapsed in, in the Crimson Stream, and he would have died then and there for his energies were completely spent. But the Dark Ones had uses for him still. Under a scarlet moon, Thorax was reborn. He rose up and bellowed his defiance, blood cascading from his now brazen frame, for the gods had rewarded his fell deeds with a body of shining metal. No more would he tire, no more would he have a moment's respite from the rage that consumed him. Thorax drank deep of the gory river that he had made, and the blood sluiced and boiled inside his brass body, giving him unholy vitality. Clashing his rune-inscribed axes together in savage pride, Thorax set off once more and began the slaughter anew. This time he did not stop, and the brass bull will not stop until he is somehow put in a grave once and for all. This is a very interesting story. Of course, the uh, brass bull, uh, probably referring to an instrument that may be apocryphal, but may also have been real, a bronze cast body of a bull, a hollow bull that had a hatch in it where a prisoner was then put into and then a fire was lit under the bull so that the person inside was slowly roasted alive. Not a very pleasurable thing to think of but uh, well befitting with the beastman's brutality I think. The brass bull has the rules blood greed, fear, frenzy and slaughterous call that a regular doom bull also has. Apart from that he also has the rule brass body. Thorax is a towering beast of impossibly hard metal skin, Both his transformation, but his transformation was imperfect. Because to spite a demon always carries consequence. Upon the throat of the brass bull is an area of flesh that may yield to a sword thrust, both bold and true. 
Torox has a 1 plus armor save, however if an attack rolls a 6 to hit and then a 6 to wound, then Torox will be slain outright if he fails his saving throw. He causes d3 plus 1 impact hits on the turn he charges and he has uh, the rune tortured axes, a magic weapon, two hand weapons, the extra attack is included in his profile which I will give you in a moment. The runes on Torx's axes burn with dire sorcery. His attacks ignore armor saves and count as flaming attacks. Torox is a lord level uh, character. He costs 355 points. He has a movement of 6, web skill 6, ballistic skill 3, strength toughness of 6, wounds and initiative of 5. 6 attacks, this is including the one with the axes, and a leadership of 8. Now what I find interesting is that Torox is a very ferocious character, and of course all of these lore bits uh, paint a slightly better picture than the uh, rules of the game and then and the units or characters perform in-game, but... Torox is a 7th edition addition, and there is not much about him in other uh, sources as far as I can recall. It does say here in the Beastman book that there are rumors of him uh, across Talabakland, and that there is even a rumor that a large army with, of course, Torox at the head is moving, uh, marching its way towards Talabakland, uh, no, towards uh, Talapheim. Uh, Talabakland is the province, Talapheim is the uh, capital of the province. But uh, other than that, this is just in the Beastman book, and you'd think that a Minotaur raging and killing everything in its path for a year and a day, uh, including putting an entire village or city or, or whatever it was to the sword, um, you, you'd expect them to have some more entries on that. Now, I have not checked the Empire Army book, but there's a little bit of a discrepancy between the way these characters are portrayed, or at least Torx is portrayed in the lore, and um, the way that the impact that he has on the Warhammer world in general. Now I am not too familiar with the end times, I have not checked the end times books for this episode. I know that in the end times you can have some more uh, beastmen uh, with the chaos again, the, the Grand Unified Chaos Army uh, returns the way it was in 6th edition. Your beastmen can also have marks again. I did not check any of that. Um, Thorox never got a miniature. I'm going to just grab one of those plastic minotaurs because they are a lot bulkier and beefier than most of the 6th edition era minotaurs that I have. Um, so he can, he, he gets some, uh, uh, well, I'm just going to paint him uh, brass with a little bit of flesh at the throat and try to get some interesting highlights on there. I made this miniature in such a way that he is holding the axes um, above his head, both of them as if he's to, to bring them down both at the same time. I also, what I wanted to do with these beastmen is to, uh, in, in this plastic kit you have one runic axe for the 
uh, right hand with a, uh, one right hand with a runic axe, and you have three great weapons that have runes on them. So I use the rune weapons for the uh, characters. I have a character with an additional with a a uh, was not an additional hand weapon. Of course, it's a, it's a great weapon that has this runic axe. And the other runic axes I used for a, um, I, I cut them up. Uh, the uh, I believe I gave one maybe to the battle standard bearer, and uh, two of them I gave to the uh, Torox model, or what is going to be Torox. Well, we will have to wait until next year to see those painted. I will probably post up pictures of what is for all intents and purposes going to be a minotaur army i'm not going to dive into the end times here because uh, this episode is running a little bit long as it is and i'm not too intently familiar with those let me know your thoughts on the minotaurs have you played with them or against them how did they perform are they living up to their reputation or at least the way that I paint them in my head as unstoppable killing machines? Or uh, am I missing something here and do I just not know how to beat these bull-headed beasties? Well, that's going to be it for today. I do want to point you towards the direction of our Patreon. We have a Patreon account if you want to support the podcast with... As little as one euro or dollar or pound or whatever your local currency is, uh, the local equivalent is uh, per month, you can do that. You can do it with as much as you want to. We have a lot of back episodes on there. Uh, there will be some more content, hopefully soon. It will all depend on how busy both Nathan and I are going to be these coming weeks. But do keep an eye out on that. That's going to be it for today. Thank you very much for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. The time of mortals has come to an end.